Greetings, my friends. Welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording live under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And as you know, the mission here with this company and this podcast is to arm humans with the tools necessary to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness. And today's episode is no exception. I'm sitting across from an entrepreneur here in the Valley named Jared Smith, and we're going to dive deep into his story. He's been making some waves online. I've been following his story and uh, picking up some of the nuggets he's been dropping so uh, today, I feel privileged and lucky to have him in studio. So thanks for joining me, man. Man, glad to be here. So um, let's start at the beginning, man. Um, you know, you were telling me before we got on the mic that you, you're not an Arizona native, which I picked up in your voice. And uh, you said you grew up out in the Southland. Yes, that's right. A little country boy, as they say. Yeah, whereabouts? Uh, northeast Mississippi, little town, a uh, little area called the Golden Triangle. It's a small town. Um, my wife says I knew everyone in there. <laughs> uh, just 13,000 people of us, and um, it was easy to talk to most everybody, for sure. Yeah. And she's from that area as well? No, um, she was there shortly. We got married over there. Uh, she lived there roughly five years, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, but she's from Portland, and then Arkansas, and then Mississippi. Okay. Okay. So she's done a little traveling as well. Yeah. So uh, that part of the state, I believe, has a few hills, right? You're at the, the tail end of the Appalachians. Yep. Tail end of it. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So what was it like growing up as a child out in uh, northeastern Mississippi? Um, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. We grew up, I'm a twin, so I've got a twin and a younger brother, and we grew up on, I think it was roughly 360 acres. Really? Wow. And we had access to the whole 3,000 acres that we were renting from. Wow. So um, did a lot of fishing, like, all the time. And, like, we are talking the other day that, you know, times are different these days. So back then, we'd be 12 years old, you know, after school, jump on our bikes and go, you know, a mile down the road to the fishing pond. And we'd be fishing and no cell phones, no adults, no nothing, and just be home by dark. Yeah. You know, so a little different area for sure. Yeah, dark was the time limit. That's that's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah, and uh, I grew up in Georgia, so I know a little bit about that. You know, uh, I think uh, in the summertime, I remember it getting dark like way after nine o'clock. Yep. You know, you're out there riding bikes and hanging with friends or whatever, and uh, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful time. I, I think my experience might have been similar to yours. Did you guys have, did you guys had water on the property, or the property um, was adjacent to some some lakes? Uh, we had a small like very secret, but incredibly well-known for those that were in the circle, a very good <laughs> fishing hole. Uh, we went swimming in seven acres, you know, um, but that was it. Yeah. 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 That's funny. Uh, <laughs> you're the, you're the first person to say that to me since I've been, been back out here. Um, I was huge into fishing when I got into college, me and my buddy. And the first rule of anything good was if anyone asked you if you caught anything, the answer is always no. <laughs> a good one. A good one. <laughs> Oh man. So, um, you said you're a twin. Um, you grew up on a lot of property, had a lot of it to yourself. Um, but, um, what was it like? What was the childhood dynamic like for you growing up out in Mississippi? Um, yeah. So was brought up inside a, a religious community. Didn't have much of an, um, influence or experience with the outside world. Like we connected with our neighbors and connected with our customers, but, um, went to a private school Mm-hmm. Um, I, I graduated top of my class, but it was a class of four class of four. Wow. Um, so yeah, very, uh, very religious based, very, not very spiritual, but highly religious. Um, I was working probably 40 hours a week in the summer when I was 12 years old, mm-hmm. um, in the family business, which was of all things roofing. Really? 
fun sport. Yeah. So what type of community was this? Uh, what type of religious community was it? Um, it was Hold'em and Mennonite was the title. Mm. Um, they're, they're a bunch of good people for sure. Um, but they, they directed all of our beliefs. So, um, you know, how the kind of clothes we wear, the way we uh, dress, the way we part our hair, even as guys, um, full facial beard, things like that. So, and of course, always the, the deeper things, the, the belief things, those are all handed down um, from originally one person, John Holdeman. Um, and then he, of course, branched off. But so leaving that particular organization, just as an example, my family believes that I'm going to hell because of it, because you can't leave the one true church. So they're still part of it. Yes. Okay. Got you. Even your twin brother. Yeah. I'm the only one. I, um, I made a lot of people unhappy when I left. I'm the only one in my one, my mom's side of the family that's ever experienced this. That had to be hard on you. Like, are you, do you feel like you're isolated from them or separate from them? Um, can you still contact them? How does it work? Yeah, there's, there's a connection when we want, I don't have, basically I don't have a relationship with my dad. Mm -hmm. Uh, we speak maybe once a year Okay. and it's for five minutes talking about the weather. (laughs) Um, but the leaving part was very hard because I didn't, I, I left, uh, this was in probably after my wife and I were married, probably about 22. Um, but I knew the pain that I was causing them because up until this point, I was a hundred percent diehard Mennonite. I literally told somebody else, my mom-in-law when she was leaving that, yeah, you know, you're told her right to her face that she's going to hell. I mean, I believed this stuff. I was a poster child for a hold of a Mennonite. Um, very well known, very traveled everywhere as a child, um, as a teenager inside the church. And, um, so I knew deeply the pain that I was going to be causing them. And I mean, there, I was brought up in front of a panel of, I think it was six or eight, um, of the head pastors from the surrounding congregations to try to influence my mind, influence my decision. And, you know, and I would openly address every conversation and I'd ask a couple questions that, um, I don't remember right now, but I remember the story that they couldn't answer. Like, why do you believe this way? You're believing this way simply because you're told to, you know, all of the teenagers, all of the young people, they, they're told to have their belief, but they can't answer anything deeper than that. So you had questions and it's, so you had questions and people would congregate around you to sort of field those questions. Is that what you're saying? Um, after my presence of me leaving, me deciding to exit was made very public and the initial, you know, people coming by and trying to, you know, I was then the wayward one. And after they couldn't influence me, then I was asked to go in front um, is at a church at, at our church and um, to have a conversation with a whole group of the elders. Um, and that was the part that they, you know, they couldn't answer the questions. And ironically, this is the first experience I had with me doing what I felt I had to do. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't, the, the switch was night and day at one point. Um, at one point I was going to be the guy that, cause Chelsea, my wife decided she was, she couldn't put up with it anymore. She had to leave. She, it was her choice was made mm-hmm. and I'm like, all right, well I'm, you know, I'm going to be this Mennonite guy that has a broken family. 
So she decided to choose out before you did? Correct. I see. And then pulling up into our house um, three days afterwards, it was a night and day difference, a complete night and day difference. And I knew that I had to leave. And we stayed in Mississippi for a couple of years after that. And um, for some reason, I, uh, I've always had father figures and I've always had at that particular place, I always had uh, quite a few second mothers. And one of my second mothers knew that I love strawberry rhubarb pie. And, um, and that's Southern right there. Yes. And she's like, Hey, she goes, she called and she's like, I had, had been like probably a year and a half since we had left or two years or something. And, um, she's like, Hey, we're having this, uh, Thanksgiving social and I'm making your favorite pie. And I would, you know, please, can you come, you know? So my wife and I, you know, lots of conversation across the board all the time. And the, or the story that we were told was that we're deceived. You know, you won't recognize that you're going on the stray path. And this was, you know, it's the reason why a lot of Holden and Mennonites, when they leave, they never actually have fulfilled lives because they can't ever get over the guilt and the blame and all that. And so my wife and I were like, all right, we'll go. And it was very, very clear for me that I, if I'm deceived, you know, lots of praying, if I'm deceived, then I want to know if I need to go back, if I made a wrong decision, then I want to feel that. And I wasn't in that event 10 minutes and I had to get out of the building, like had to, and never look back after that. Wow. So you left straight away. Yeah. Right I after left, that experience. Yeah, correct. So what was it that flipped in, in your wife and in yourself that, you know, you guys obviously, you know, coming up or being around this, you had to have been influenced greatly by these, these folks in your community. Right. Mm -hmm. And good people are not right. You're, you're, if you're not allowed to question, where did your, where did your sort of ability to question come from? You know, where, what, what sparked that in you? Um, so I don't know for certain, but I can tell you the stories. I never, on the outside, we had a beautiful family on the inside. We were not close whatsoever. Um, I've, uh, hated the way my dad treated my mom. Um, it, the way I was treated by my dad, I was the problem child. I was always the one that was to blame for absolutely everything, even though there could have been solid evidence that otherwise, um, I spent an entire year when I was too old to cry, crying myself to sleep every single night. Hated life. I, I'm not at all saying that I probably would have, but I didn't understand the concept of suicide, of taking my own life because of the way I was, you know, indoctrinated. Um, but very dark moments. Through all of those things, the first decision was, oh, wow, I, um, I can remember I'd walk around at after bedtime outside um, trying to make sense of things and, you know, left the tears in the pillow and went outside and all of a sudden it hit me that, well, I don't have to give him my happiness just because every single time we're talking, we're going to be fighting. I don't have to give him my happiness. I can actually make that choice. And so the parallel, the connection is we're all going somewhere. We're all meant for something. And mine was to be more than that. I was able to decide early on that I do get to choose 
that it's it's always a choice for me and for some some possible way I was able to recognize it way back then. Mm, yeah. So how do you think of family now? I mean, if you like if if you said you, you know, you have a short conversation with your father about the weather, I mean, what do you what does the word family mean to you, you know, as an adult now? Uh still making sense of it. I know what family means for my personal family. Um it's joy, it's love. Uh, this connection with you know my wife and my daughter and my son, uh, but thinking of the traditional family, um, I'll say is a gray area. It's undecided because we're society teaches us that well, it doesn't matter what happened. You can't choose your parents. You still have to be with them. But a reality is is I do get to choose and. Since my dad chooses to be somebody that I don't want to be around and I do not want to be around my children, I don't, he's not a person that I would want to have a relationship with. I still love him. I still respect him. It's completely his choice. I have zero pain towards anything that used to draw me in back then. Um, it's just, he's just free to be who he wants to be. It's just not somebody that I want in my, in my vibe, my circle. Totally. I, I, I completely get that. I have a, I have a similar sort of a experience. Um, but uh, I find that a lot of people don't understand that. Like people will say, well, so-and-so is your father. So-and-so is your mother. And that suddenly justifies anything that they do. It's like, yes. oh, well, you're blood relatives, so therefore I can just take advantage of you whenever I want. Right. And are we, are we really going to tell somebody that you should deny yourself happiness your inner soul freedom just because society tells us that we have to be around them. We have to do them. We have to follow them and everything else. I mean, it doesn't really make a lot of sense if you think about it. No, it doesn't make any sense at all. And, you know, as a, as you're talking about this and you know, the, the relationship, you know, dynamic is coming into my head and, and I know how hard that must have been. But as you guys decided to make that decision to exit, you know, were you guys fearful? Were you guys afraid? Like, what were you, what did you leave with? Like, did you guys have anything to start a new life with or, or where were you starting from at that point? We, um, we lived in fear for the next couple of years. Mm. Like that's all we knew basically. Um, we're, we're talking about somebody that had very little normal influence. We didn't know what it was like to have a TV, to have a radio, to have access to alcohol or anything like that. And so all of a sudden you have freedoms that you didn't even know existed. And then battling life, trying to make correct decisions, trying to hold true to yourself when you're now making new friends and a um, short story. We, um, we had, there's a lot of people that came to us and were, um, very, very valuable friendships. They taught us, you know, what it meant to be a friend and all that. And there was a small circle of people that we hung out with for a while. And it ended up being that every single, um, Sunday morning was breakfast at our house, which was pretty cool. While you were still in the community? While we were there. Yes. Okay. No, not in the religious community. We had left, but we were still, still the living there. Yes. Gotcha. But a lot of time people would sleep over and their original thing was like you do in the South, you drink on the weekends. And, um, so I can remember telling somebody that, yeah, we, 
this one guy, um, he drank and then he threw up and, you know, <laughs> then he had to refill and start all over. And, you know, it's like, but, you know, they're good friends. And the guy's like, well, you know, perhaps you should change your friends. And so, you know, learning friendships, learning that, you know, oh, just because they're good people, they might have served a wonderful purpose, but we don't have to stay that path if we don't want to. We can actually, you know. So, you're, so you're talking about your influences after you left the community like you. Right. It sounds like you were you guys are trying to figure out what, you know, how to define that. Who we are. Yeah. And that was a struggle. As constant struggle. You never had to do that. And for the longest time, you know, still living in the fear of all the religious dogma that we had, you know, mm -hmm. did we make a wrong decision? Are we actually going to hell? I mean, you know, when you lay your head down on your pillow at nighttime and it's quiet, that's when those feelings <laughs> come around, you know, yeah, and for sure. when you've never made any knowing decisions in your life before and now all of a sudden you're making them for yourself and hell is on the line that little fire and brimstone place that you're going to be in misery and comfort forever yeah you know so the story is their story then you know you yeah a lot of self-doubt a lot of you know self-judgment and all those things so for you hell was like a actual thing it wasn't a metaphor yes. no it was not a metaphor there was no don miguel Luis involved it was all <laughs> actuality gotcha gotcha yeah so that would be terrifying oh yeah to think that you're going to end up in a lake of fire screaming surrounded by your worst fears for yeah. the rest of eternity or whatever that would be yeah so how did you guys escape that so you came out of the community you stayed in the area um, and then you started figuring out how to set boundaries and make new connections. But then, then what, what happened after that? Um, after that, my, uh, wife's brother, we moved him out here to ASU and then we moved th their family out here. And all of a sudden one night, um, it's like, Hey, let's get out of town. And Chelsea was able to find a job right away cause she was doing dental assistant back then. And so through family she came out here with a job and nothing we moved out here with you know one little u-haul and living on love as they say and um had no idea you just made it work just made it work Took best decision yeah uh, dude that had to be scary though you know like uh leaving everything that you've known and in that one, one little corner of mississippi you know but i guess you'd been out here a couple times so it wasn't quite as unknown to you yeah at um this point but still falling back on this was a decision that we knew we had to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're doing something that you know you're supposed to be doing, um, the fear is mitigated and it's a bright, exciting life. You know, I mean, Phoenix moves three times the speed that Mississippi does. <laughs> so, you know, it's easy to get sucked in. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys came out here, you got, uh, you set up shop, so to speak. Yep. And, uh, is that when you started your business or did this come later? No, this came later. I, um, I worked, I literally found, um, the first guy I called from Craigslist, got me a job interview, had no idea what I was interviewing for. Um, got hired and started the following Monday and started at the very bottom and worked my way up to the very top of the company in a matter of five years. I was going to, um, owner finance. He was going to owner finance and I was going to be his retirement plan. Mm -hmm. Um, life happens. He had a pretty, um, emotional divorce and then he started dating the new secretary and then Jared Smith said, I went out of here. <laughs> it's not in alignment anymore. That damn secretary, man. She's always there. <laughs> hey, no judgment. I mean, he's, you know, I, the guy, 
I've got a lot of respect for him just because he taught me majority of what I know about the trade that I'm in. Sure. But, um, but for sure alignment was broken and it was time to leave. So the business that you're in right now, you learned from him or yeah. did you, did uh, you same trade, him? same trade. Yeah. Um, so I left there, wasn't ready to start my own, um, for a little bit less than a year. I took a position running sales, mm-hmm. um, was not that kind of salesman. And, um, at a random sales call, the guy's like, Hey, he's, you know, you want to, you clearly want to do something your own. I was showing him some, um, drawing some designs that I had for my new look for a logo, the name of the company and everything that I was wanting to, you know, actually go down. And, um, he's like, why don't I finance you? So he was my partner and did it all on the country man handshake. And it was, um, according to what I understood, was supposed to be a two-year agreement and 50-50 on the money. And let's say uh, it didn't end up that way. Embezzlement um, took everything from me, and here I was starting all over again. (laughs) But uh, one of the best things, um, you know who you are if you listen, I thank you deeply. Yeah, for sure. Um, One of the best, um, most angry experiences I ever went through, but for sure, I'm so glad it happened. Absolutely so glad it happened. So what did you take away from that? I mean, being a kid, right, to, you know, live more or less a sheltered upbringing, you know, into early adulthood, weren't really given the tools to deal with something like that. I mean, how did you, you know, how did you walk away from that? What, what scars did it, did it create for you? Um, it, it provided many an opportunity to want to fight. Mm. Um, did you get in some fights? No, no, no. I, I refuse to tangle with him. Um, and I'm not meaning the literal fist fight. I'm just meaning, you know, business, um, have arguments, um, debates and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't play the game. I, at this point, knew enough about me to know that, you know, that's beneath the level I want to be at. You did what you did, and I have two choices. I can hate it and continue down this path of anger that I'm feeling, or I can accept it and put it behind me. My attorney was like, you know, what do you want to do? You want to drag this out? There's plenty of evidence in your favor. You've got a lot of stuff here that we can play with. And if you have more money than he does for attorney fees, then you'll win. Um, but this will play out over a couple of years. You know, I'm like, no, I, I want to be done. The emotional, I don't want this emotional drama anymore. I, I, I want to move forward. Mm-hmm. And so I took the financial loss and um, started my own one. Nice. And, and that's where you are today. It's been years Correct. ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Partnerships can be tough, man, especially if you're not uh, familiar with setting up proper OAs and, and yep. all the documentation. Um, but yeah, embezzlement's always a big issue and trust is always a big issue because oh, sure. everybody has access to the bank account. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a country boy. I tend to trust people. Right. So I, you know, I'm not even going to look for it. Right. Right. And so how long have you been doing uh, your, your current business? Uh, roughly three years, three years. Yeah. Okay. So this isn't that long ago that this no. happened, that this took place. No. Okay, cool. And so, um, what industry are you guys in? You guys, uh, do you like concrete type work? Uh, yes. Um, it's a hard to describe industry unless you understand it. We do specialty flooring, mm-hmm. um, polished concrete, industrial coatings and floor prep all down the commercial line. Okay. It seems, uh, it seems to be pretty in high demand. It is. It is business. It's easy to grow right now. Yeah. I looked into actually having some floors polished in one of our houses and it was pretty pricey. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it so expensive? Are the, are the machines that you guys use, are they like super, 
yeah. you know, you know, super up there in cost. Oh yeah. One, um, one rigs, 30, 30 plus thousand. Really? Yeah. Wow. Jeez. That's crazy. Yeah. Amazing. So is this something that you're, uh, you're intent to continue to grow? It's an industry that you enjoy being in? Uh, yes and no. Um, there was a period where I didn't like it anymore and it's still contracting, which means you're dealing with the people that weren't smart enough to take a career elsewhere. And, um, you know, most people, when they fall into a trade, you know, it's just because they didn't seek employment elsewhere. They weren't smart enough to go through the exams or, you know, something else. And so, yeah, they just, you know, followed someone else. And before long, they're living their life inside the tradesman. Mm -hmm. And this is no discredit to any of that. Um, but it's a lot of people that don't know how to manage their life very well. And they're, you know, they're operating from an area that they could climb out of. So it's a lot of fun. There's always fires to put out. There's always, um, there's always opportunity for sure. It used to be very, very high stress. I was, um, a typical contractor, had a fast food diet, had, um, contractor belly, you know, high stress, no sleep. I mean, um, at one point I was running six crews, um, 24 hours a day. Wow. And the phone would always ring. And I felt that I was reaching success because growing up, the people that were attached to the phone, the people that were, you know, very stressful, they were successful, right. you know? And so that was sort of the image. And all of a sudden I, I was there mm. and all of a sudden, um, went from sleeping five hours a night, to four hours a night, to three hours a night, to one hour a night. And I literally burnt out. Yeah. And then you wake up and realize that the people who are actually successful actually take time to themselves, yes. <laughs> take yes. vacations, enjoy their lives yep. and have somebody else dealing with all that. Exactly. So what was it for you? I mean, at, at what point in the lack of sleep did you say enough is enough, man, I got to do something different. Um, so this part happened probably timelines are not my forte. So I want to say probably six years ago okay. when I learned that there's a wiser way to do things. Mm -hmm. Um, it, I was sort of forced into it. Um, I, I don't still don't know how, but apparently I injured myself somehow my core and I pulled some ribs out and you know, no sleep. Uh, most of it was all stress related, I'm sure. And I was, I came home, um, literally rolling on the floor in agony, trying to, you know, get through it and went and saw our chiropractor, uh, started working my way through it. And he, uh, he prescribed me something called ashwagandha, an herb. And, um, I had tried Xanax and I was like given a Xanax tab and it didn't like, didn't phase me. Xanax for physical pain? No, for my mind Okay. to slow down so that I could actually turn something off and sleep. I got you. I got you. So and you weren't sleeping. You you've had physical issues. Your ribs right. were ribs were coming out. Right. And uh, so you had a combination of things happening here. Yeah. You're falling apart as a young man. Yeah. But um, living my dream. <laughs> <laughs> or so someone told Correct. you. Correct. Right. Correct. Right. So yeah, I decided then um, things could be different, and been building my business from um, it's a good great source of income. It's a great source of connection. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to provide for, for others, uh, on the financial side and yeah, it'll, um, continue to grow and I want the team to grow it as much as they want to grow it. But 
past the growth that we'll do this year is probably it's all on them after that. Mm-hmm. I see. So you're, you're just developing people at this point so you can kind of sit back in the catbird seat and keep an eyeball on um, what's happening. Yes, but different intention, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, yeah. It's easy to assume that I just want to sit back and make all the money, mm-hmm. you know, and do little of the work. And I don't want it from that standpoint. I, I want the guys, every single person that's involved, um, they're going to get paid their due diligence for sure. Sure. You know, and, and then some. Sure. Uh, but I believe that you may give enough people what they want that you won't have any needs of your own. 100%. And, um, it will, the byproduct will be a business that's running more independently, got a pulse fully of its own and providing a good X amount of income. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a question of making sure that, you know, people are in the right seats on the bus, you know, yeah. like you've, you've paid your dues, you've learned the business top to bottom. And it sounds like you'd be more valuable actually creating new relationships, creating new opportunities for these guys to come in and like show out and really do some great work and have the opportunity to, you know, pick up some extra coin if that's what they want to do. Well, that's the point. There's a lot of people that that's what they want to do. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. And, and my point is just simply that it doesn't behoove the business for you to be one of those guys, you know, running the machines anymore. You know, like it, it sounds like you'd be better off, you know, providing more business to these guys who do want to do that sort of thing. You know what I mean? In the business or on the business. That's it. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So, um, I've been, uh, you know, obviously following you for quite some time and I've noticed that you've been getting into some, some physical activity. Uh, you mentioned that you did a little bit of running. So what did wellness start to look like for you as you started to recognize the decline in your body? You know, what did you start doing differently to change that and alter that, alter the course of that, that part of your life? Um, probably the biggest influence is my first experience was with Sean Whalen in the lion's den. Okay. And, um, they use the popular, uh, core four procedure where it's, you know, body balance, business and being, uh, taught by Garrett White. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure who taught him. Um, everything's hand me down. No, it's not. <laughs> There's people that would with attorneys disagree. Um, they can yeah, have those that two fun. guys are still going at each other. Aren't they? I over do the, not know over the core four thing. Cause yep. Sean put out a book and, did. and then Garrett, I think went after him for putting out the book. Um, and then I heard that they got something, some joint venture plan. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's crazy. But yeah, I mean, everything is borrowed and, and spun. Yeah. But the, the way that that was framed, I think Garrett put it together yes. like that, right? That was the, the yes. crux of the issue. But how can you copyright a idea? Yeah. Well, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't, depending on what the idea is and what it relates to. Well, you know? And look at the good that came out of it. Mm-hmm. He, Sean did his thing yeah. and I got involved and that was the very beginning of my transformation. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the physical side, all of a sudden I started recognizing that I can work out every single morning mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, you know, three, four months later, I'm in the best shape of my life. Six months later, I'm like, wow, I haven't, you know, looked this healthy in a long time. I'm actually, is it's a little bit embarrassing when your crew walks by you in the shop and pats your belly, <laughs> you know, and you're a skinny dude. You're a skinny dude. I was just going to say, yeah. how in the hell did you end up with a belly? You know, but, uh, it would take some serious sedentary uh, you know, yep. lifestyle to make that happen for someone yep. like yourself. I can tell you don't put on weight easy. No, no, for sure. Definitely not. So to continue the question, um, I 
picked up running again, kept on, um, right before my daughter's birthday, my daughter's birthday, I, um, was going to run the PF Chang's half marathon, had never run anything like that. And she was late. And so I decided, no, I'm not going to deplete my body, you know, and be fatigued and possibly bring in some, you know, stuff that she needs to be healthy. So I didn't do it. Never done anything since then. And, um, so this was a couple years ago back in 2016 and it was two people that were involved. One of them was David Goggins and the other one was Tom Bilyeu, um, on some podcast information. And it was about, you know, making a bigger decision now. And I'm like, Hey, I've always thought triathlete that looks, you know, like a lot of fun. And I'm like, well, a sprint is, you know, pretty small. An Olympic is, um, an Olympic is roughly, what is it? It's 1500 meter swim. So just under a mile. And then it's a 24 mile bike ride and a six mile run. I'm like, well, I know I can do that with some training. So I did the, um, half Ironman in 16 weeks Nice. and had never been in a lap pool before then. Wow. So that's sort of where it started. So you were seriously committed. I found out I was. Yeah, for sure. That's fantastic, man. That's an yes. amazing result. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So between uh, Goggins and Bill, you man, uh, what were these guys saying to you to, to kind of create a little fire under your bootay? Um, I don't remember the exact words, but it was just more down the line that, you know, we can play small mm-hmm. or we can actually step inside the game. Right. And yeah. Did so. you, uh, did you go through Goggins book? I did. I went through probably his recent one, right? Yeah. His most recent one. Yeah. Um, about the time that came out, I went on a Goggins kick and that was in December, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I listened to like six different podcasts and everything I could find on Goggins, you know, times three speed or something. And yeah, I got familiar with Goggins. What do you think of that guy's story, man? It seems, seems almost unreal. Some of the stuff that he uh, experienced as a child is his dad was a nut job, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Did you uh, listen to the audiobook version or did you have the book book? I did the audio. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really cool how they had those conversations between the chapters. There's so much more color was added to the book that way. Yeah. It, um, I love the book, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's, it's incredibly useful, but people need to be careful not to use the, his story as their own motivation. Um, for running, for sure. I mean, you know, the guy will help you go farther and harder than you've ever went before. I mean, very, very motivating. But it's his story. It's, you know, let it be his story. Yeah, so um, maybe go a little deeper on that. What do you mean by that when you say don't use his story for your own story? Are you saying not to, you know, try to be someone else or live someone else's life? Or are you saying, you know, that that inspiration needs to come from inside you in some way, shape, or form? Correct, correct. We, um, with Instagram... We tend to want to live and make all of our decisions, our intentions based on what someone else did and what someone else said was useful and everything because Goggin's story is a great example. I mean, he, um, he went through a lot for sure and he chose to be different, but on the physical side, you can also find people that will have a similar story the say with meditation or something, you know, with the calm, with the peace. And all that, and so they went through the exact same um, lesson with a complete different experience. Mm. 
give me some color on that. What do you mean by, uh, like, uh, I think a lot of times, especially as men, we see another man and we're like, oh, this dude is just punishing himself and he's going to war with himself and he's doing all these things and he's fighting so hard and, you know, and, and it's easy to, to get sucked into that. And it's like, well, I'm not doing that, that difficult stuff like he is. So maybe I need to do that difficult stuff like he is, you know, but then you forget that there's that entire feminine side of life mm-hmm. that's softer, you know, that, that is actually surrender. So when someone's going into that space of, you know, I'm going to war with myself, really what they're doing is they're surrendering to what it takes to actually create the result. What are your thoughts on that? Um, yes to all it using, using Goggins as fuel, of course, and to clarify, there's no wrong way, according to my belief. But look at, um, I'll use me as an example. My wife says my number three is everyone else's number 10 in relation to some of this stuff. On the outside, my iron, half Ironman training looked to be completely miserable. But I wasn't doing it for anybody else. I wasn't doing it to prove a point. I was doing it simply because I chose to, because I wanted to. And so for me going out and, you know, doing a very hard swim or doing, you know, any form of training, um, it can be very, very painful, but there's zero suffering involved. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. And so why are we doing something? You know, if you're doing it because it worked for Goggins and so it has to work for me, then you might have a whole lot more pain than you it might be necessary. Yeah, for sure. I, dude, I can, I can completely vibe on that exact idea. I mean, suffering is optional. And I love the way you phrase that. It's like you, you chose, you used the word chose like a couple of times in that, uh, in that statement. And that's really what it is. Like if you choose, if you choose into do this thing, why would the, why would you then turn around and fight with yourself every day about doing the work necessary right. to do the thing? It doesn't make sense. It just proves that you didn't actually make the choice. Well, and couldn't that be connected to the, to the dichotomy that, um, 90 day targets, you know, mm-hmm. planning and things like that. Mm-hmm. It, all the evidence shows that that's incredibly useful for a certain particular line of success, whatever path the target is going for. But at the same time, are you going to have the audacity to say that, all right, today I'm going to decide who I'm going to be 60 days from now and all of the actions that I'm going to go through, all of the experiences I'm going to go through, I'm still going to be committed to what I wrote down 60 days ago, 90 days ago, because I committed to it back then. And I'm a whole different person all of life experiences over the past 60 days, or are we really going to say that you have to stay committed to that based on who you were then and ignore who you are now? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think it comes down to intent, right? What do you, what do you really intend to create? You know, do you still want that thing that you said you wanted, yep. you know, 60 days ago, or is it no longer important? Well, if that's the case then what's wrong with taking a pivot? Correct. Correct. And it's not to say at all that there's anything wrong or non-useful for it. I mean, take right or wrong out. Does it serve you? Does it not? Exactly. Is it moving you towards something that you want or is it not moving you towards something you want? That (laughs) that's the binary, you know, the sort of binary choice in that particular moment. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when you're, when you're doing that, uh, that thought process of what you want to create, you know, 
Have you had that happen where you're like, you know, hey, I'm halfway into the quarter and now I want something different. Have you just had that moment where you're like, this is no longer relevant. So now I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to shift everything up. I have. Um, and I'll openly say that I see both sides of this. There was a period of me that said, you know, no, we have to live in this present moment. Um, if I'm living in this present moment, then the thought of living towards something 90 days from now or two weeks from now um, doesn't work. So I threw it aside for a while. Um, but for sure, it's life. We're, we're experiencing everything. And so, yeah, I, um, I keep targets in mind. I keep a direction because what I realized, people in general, we don't become creators. We are creators. That's, that's, we're going through life and we are creating something. Most of us are creating on autopilot based on the past. Um, but we are creators and so we do get to choose so we can put a vision in mind, a feeling in mind, and we can build that direction. And so for myself, that's kind of how I look at it. And that means that, all right, today, right now, there's, you know, a dozen, if you want to get realistic, a hundred dozen. Uh, but there's a lot of steps that, you know, need to happen in order for that particular outcome to, to get there. But I have the intention along the way, knowing that how I feel matters more than the other things. Mm -hmm. And so we'll pivot as I feel pivot is needed. Gotcha. So I guess you could, I guess from one perspective, you could call into question someone's commitment when they say, oh, well, you know, I'm halfway through the quarter, so I'm going to go ahead and pivot. And someone might look at that and say, well, you're just, you were never committed to that outcome in the first place, you know? And then someone else might say, well, that outcome's no longer relevant. So it's like you said, it, there's that dichotomy there. But then in that moment, there's the person who has a past, like you mentioned, and a person who's driving towards something in the future that they want to become or something that they want to bring into their life, right? So what do you say to that person who says, well, you know, it's cool that Jared can run a marathon and, you know, do a triathlon and swim a mile and all that kind of stuff. But not me, you know, I can't do that stuff. You know, they're, they're living in their past. They're living in that sort of space of, I can't, they're, they're judging themselves based on other people. They're looking at themselves through other people's lenses, all the stories that were given to them. And that's become hardwired in them. What do you say to that person who says, you know, I, I, there's no way I could break out of this and become something different. Um, that's okay. It's, it's, it's a choice that you can make. You're not doing it wrong by saying that you, whether you realize it or not, you will get there. You will choose differently at some point. Maybe not in this particular lineal lifetime, but in the hologram of things, you'll get there. The hologram of things meaning? Um, time is irrelevant. <laughs> time doesn't exist like we think it does or like, you know, past, present, future. So you're saying basically, as long as the intention exists, at some point along the line, your, your spiritual nature, your physical nature will align with that intention and create whatever outcome you really want to create. Well, for a person that is in that particular state that you said that, you know, I, I can't walk away from this. I can't change. Mm -hmm. They're not actually wanting, they don't have the desire deep enough to change because they would. So what needs to happen is a little bit of a little less amount of judgment upon themselves and before long they start accepting a few things and 
those little micro things that they're accepting will create micro changes of their outlook and they will start making different choices on a very small scale. Okay. So basically over time, you're saying their intention, if it exists, will baby step, will, will sort of automatically baby step them toward the thing that they want to create. I do believe so. Cause I also believe that our soul has a purpose and all of the, um, life experience, the drama and everything that I went through was for a good reason. It doesn't mean good or bad. It was very useful because it brought me to this point. So a friend of mine explained it to me this way. He's like, you see these beggars in the street corners of Phoenix. He's like, why do I want to deny them from their experience? It's, it's very easy to want to change them, to want to give them a different environment. But this is where they're at. But isn't that true of all charity, though, when you I think agree. about it? Yes. You know, like as someone wants, you know, it's, it's, I do, we could have this conversation for hours, but like the, the, uh, the intent of someone to, to be in that place overrides any attempt from an outside source to say, Hey, you could do so much better. I want you to succeed. You know, mm-hmm. like you can't want something for someone else and have them, Correct. you know, move into what you want. They have to want it Correct. on some level. You know, so it's interesting that you framed it with, you know, like the beggar on the street corner because everybody on some level has, you know, when you drive past that person, you give them money, you feel like you did something. If you don't give them money, you have that guilt, but really it's all about what you're experiencing has, and it's not going to change them one way or another. Correct. (laughs) Correct. And then apply that, you know, to everyday life. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's interesting, man. That's interesting. So, um, going back to your experience as a child coming up, you know, in kind of a sheltered environment where things were given to you, like, Hey, think this, Hey, do this, do that, you know, and then breaking away from that, what were some of the programs or the thought processes that you had to overcome as you branched out as a young man and, and went into the business world for yourself and, and now have a family and all the rest of it. What are some of the programs that, you know, you feel like, you know, were the most difficult ones for you to face and, and, and deal with? Um, on a personal level, on an internal level, it was judgment. The environment that we were in was full of judgment. Um, you're taught to judge not, but there's nothing but unlimited amount of judgment along the way. Uh, so it was very, very, very easy to criticize, judge absolutely everybody based on my experience of, you know, my outlook, what I saw. Uh, so on an internal level, something like that, um, externally nothing really comes to mind i it was a challenge for me coming from that environment small town that particular religion and all those things to not put myself inside that box and when i come out here in business um i hope they don't find out my past you know hope they don't find out i'm just a little country boy hope they don't find out that you know i um i have small town, religious, you know, came very broken, very small, very small minded. Um, the education side, all that, it was, you know, not living me. It was living what I didn't want them to live. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So you're experiencing that, that, uh, sense of, am I worthy or, you know, am I good enough? You Mm -hmm. know, that sort of thing. So you had to deal with that and, uh, 
Yeah. And the judgment piece, I totally get, man. I don't think, I don't think I've ever been to, uh, a religious situation and at least in my upbringing where there wasn't a healthy dose of that to go around. You know, it's like you said, the, the judge not lest ye be judged sort yep. of a situation, but that was one of the most incredible dichotomies that I could never reconcile inside the context of the church because there was always the he said, she said's happening in there. And it just was a total turnoff for me, which hurt because I loved the music. Like I'm, 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 I'm a music guy. Like I wanted to be there. I wanted to play in the band. I wanted to sing. I wanted to do the rest of it, you know, but, um, it was, it was the rest of it just wasn't for me and I couldn't find a space in it. And so when I didn't have to go any longer, I chose not to go, you yep. know, and I found my, my musical outlet elsewhere. As you started dealing with those, uh, stories that you're telling yourself about the inadequacy or, you know, hope they don't find out who I really am, you know, kind of a thing, you know, how did you, you know, take that and turn it into something that could serve you? Just accepted that, you know, this is my past. I, you know, all the labels of good and bad, um, it, it is who I am. And before long with acceptance, you kind of forget about it and you're more of who you are. Um, what does acceptance look like to you? Are you saying, you know, Hey, this is who I am and you're making it public or is this something that's happening more internally? There's no need to make it public because mm. then you're trying to make a statement and acceptance it it just is you know there's there's no need to prove otherwise that's beautiful that's beautiful and how did you arrive at that that conclusion you know i think uh i think the ego at least in me as i'm sitting here on the surface i could see myself in a place where i would be like hey let me just i'll just make everything public you know i'll just uh, i'll tell everyone all my deep dark secrets you know and that way everything will be out in the open and you know i'll never have to answer the question again and maybe that's a form of avoidance as well um I'm still hung up on your word. How do I arrive? I don't <laughs> think I have. Um, I'm still experiencing life. Sure. So there's always a challenge to accept something. So how do you dance with it then? I guess would be a better question. It's always there. It's never going away. With space. You have to create some space, I guess. Um, you have to have room for it. It's, it's been a lot of the fun of having a business and having this other internal life grow. Um, it's so terrible easy to be busy and it's so terrible easy to fall right back into that same root rhythm and routine of, well, I didn't get to choose these. I didn't, you know, this, this is just part of the contractor life that happens and, and I have to do this, you know, but no, the fact is I am choosing and I can simply accept it and then create something different. Mm. And so it's always, um, along with acceptance comes with the opportunity to, to believe, to yeah. choose the belief. For sure. So in that place where you're creating space, are you saying that, you know, as those thoughts arrive, you're giving yourself a little bit of time to sort of make a more conscious choice? That would be the goal <laughs> for sure. Um, he says with a smile on his face. Yes. The, the thought process would be more like, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, okay. Here's, here's a real world example. We're in business on a particular project that we, as our particular business thought we were ahead of schedule. It's roughly a five week project. And all of a sudden we were told that, Hey, um, you're supposed to be done. And we found out you're only 50% of the way through. Clearly 
there was a breakdown in a lot of people's communication. Um, I can choose to fight that particular moment or I can choose to accept it and how am I going to respond? How am I going to react and, and choose the next outcome? So we can live in chaos or we can simply be where we are, be where the feet are and make our next moment. Mm, I see. So you're not really, it's, I think when, when you said that, one, one of the things that came to mind is in that moment, I think what most humans do is they want to make an excuse so that they look better in that moment. You know, they want to feed that, that ego piece so that they feel like they look better to other people. But the reality of it is, is the person doesn't really care. They just want the result. Right, right. Yeah, is, right. That, is that kind of what you're getting at? And they remember the result. Yeah, for they sure. They don't remember how you looked in that moment. <laughs> Unless you blew up big. <laughs> so true, man. So true. Which we've all done. Yes, 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 we have. Many, on many occasions. So talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on um, connection. Um, you know, obviously coming out of the community that you did, going into kind of the quote unquote the real world you know, later in life, um, you know, what does connection look like to you at this point in your life with your family, with those around you, with your spirituality? Uh, when I, for the longest time, longest being, um, perspective would be over the past 12 to 16 months. So I used to connect like everyone else. Um, gen mass generalizing, of course, uh, very surface level, very, you know, We'll deal with it. We'll keep the image, the facade, where I think it's supposed to be and try to control their thoughts of me. Um, and then the intense growth happened. And then you start realizing that what do we really have? Why, why you know, this whole thing called life? Um, and priorities start to change. And then it's business is all good. That's fun and games. But crunching numbers, doing an estimate, making sure guys are getting something done, um, making sure all the details, the dozens of details of running a business matter. That's not doing this. We're looking at each other, eye contact. There's a feeling involved. And this is what a lot of people actually don't ever experience. They, they, they're, they're numb to their own life. And what really matters? I mean, it, it's beautiful, actually. When you say that people are numb to their own life, what does that look like in, in the practical sense of that statement? Well, I can only say according to my personal experience. Of course. Um, I had no idea that I was living a life on repeat. Go to bed, wake up, and literally, you know, this month was the same as last month. This year is the same as last year. Of course, you know, I had every two, three years, I had a good vacation that, you know, I could tell a few stories about or something. And, you know, I could always find a different story to tell somebody of my childhood or something. And, and, you know, you can spice life up a little bit or so you feel, but, um, you're literally asleep. You're like Napoleon Hill says, you're in the drift. You're, you're, you're not awake. You're not you're not choosing control. You're, um, my favorite movie is the matrix and a lot can be said about that, but that's, that's a good example. That's a good example of, of what we're talking about. Yeah. Sort of the waking dream versus reality, right? Or the reality as you perceive it sort of a thing. 
And there's no judgment in the not knowing. Right. Because they will know eventually. Yeah. But they don't know now. Yeah. There's always a level of not knowing though, right? Like there's always another level to becoming self-aware, I think. I would say deeply so. And I would also say that, think of it right now. You always know what would be a good choice to do right now. Whether it's take your shoes off, go drink a water, go call somebody. There's always something that you know you can do right now. But we cover that up all the time based on, well, society says that I've got to go wash my car. Society says that my car is not good enough. Society says that, you know, I should feel guilty for living like this because I want three times the money. (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely a lot of that floating around in the world. And you mentioned, I think, social media a couple of times and uh, this idea of connection and how we're connected but not in a state of connection. What did you mean by that? Um, You and I right now, we can have this conversation and you can be thinking of all of the stats Hardwater is going to be getting. You can be thinking of this particular episode being a step towards something else and we're clearly connecting, but we wouldn't be connected. We're the connection only happens in this particular present moment, this, this moment of now. And you're living, there's nothing wrong, of course, by having that goal, that vision and everything. But going with the childhood memories of myself, I have no real connection with my parents. I, I, there's very few real conversations that we've ever had. I can completely relate to that. But they're dad, mom. And son. So, of course, you're connected. Sure. Connected by blood, but not necessarily connected by, what would you say, alignment or, or states of being? Um, for sure. Yeah. By feeling. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I, uh, this is an interesting one for me because I saw, and this kind of touches on what you said earlier about commitment, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I saw in my household, for example, my mom was always the aggressive one. And my dad was always the peacemaker. And they both had reasons for being these people, right? They both came from abusive households. My mom was the oldest, uh, and so was my dad. But my dad had polio, so he couldn't run, right? So his right leg is atrophied. He, had, he didn't have the ability to get away from his rampaging father. So he learned to make peace, right? Wow. And so when my mom would come in on a rampage, his primary mode of behavior was to make peace. And so I would see this, and I would hate him. Because I was like, you're not standing up for us. You know, you're not protecting your children from this, this craziness that's happening in your own household, right? But he was using the tool he had in his toolbox, right? Right. And when I talked to him about it later, I understood more because he was actually doing his level best to keep his commitment to her, to honor her inside the context of marriage, Right. Right. So his commitment to her came first and he was very blunt about letting us know that. And so there was this idea of, you know, is there a point in there where you should maybe make a left turn, you know, <laughs> or do you stay committed? Right. Right. And I think what happened ultimately was it, it hindered the connection that we could have because it was almost like he was choosing sides and, and in a way, you know, he, he really was, but in a way, so was I. Right. You know, I favored him over her 
you know, a lot of my childhood kind of a thing. So there was, there was a weird dynamic going on there, but I think that, um, there was a lot of real connection that happened in that context as well. It was just happening in a very negative sort of way. If that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. And listening to you tell that story, one of the overwhelming thoughts that I have is, isn't it beautiful that he was doing what he felt he should, he was supposed to do regardless of the consequences. I mean, he was affecting his children, Mm -hmm. but he was still doing what he felt was the correct choice. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, you brought up Don Miguel Ruiz, you know, it's do your best. Right. Right. So I think people do the best they can with what they have in the given moment. And he was pulling out his best set of tools. Yeah. And so I can't fault him for that. And, And when I put myself in that place and I imagine that space, you know, I get emotional and I, and I tear up thinking about how much strength it took for him in that moment, you know, to balance the job, to balance the family, to balance all the pressures that he had, but still probably felt like part of a man, you know, in some way, in some way, shape or form. Um, and at the same time, you know, when I was a kid, there was just no patience and understanding. I didn't have the context. I didn't have the experience that I have now as a man to look back and see exactly or not, even still, I don't see exactly, but see more of the situation, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. So one of the things that you mentioned earlier was uh, your awakening and uh, this sort of download of consciousness that came into your life, came into your beingness. What prompted this and what did it look like for you? Um, not sure exactly what prompted it. Um, I mean, I know it was brought on with acceptance and everything. Um, I most certainly had a very deep, dark hole that was related to all things attached to my father. Um, Him specifically? Him specifically. Okay. And um, there's no like particular starting point of anything, but all of a sudden, um, apparently I said yes. And I started just rapidly accepting new beliefs uh, letting go of things, a, um, like my father as the, as an example, all through my life, he was a dark hole and all of a sudden in an instant, I didn't have to worry about it. I didn't have to, there was nothing to forgive him. It, it was, I accepted that that had, that was an experience and, and it didn't, that, that was, you know, that was just a memory. And, um, of course, acceptance leads to everything. And, I mean, how was it? It was, um, started out like very, very intense and, um, impressive on the outside because all of a sudden we're able to meditate. We're able to meditate very, according to labels, very well. We're able to read everything. I, um, started picking up books and started making book connections and, um, couldn't get enough. I mean, like could not get enough and would meet a few people. And I was like, well, what about these books? And then I go down a different path. And then, um, one of the points is all of my interest was spiritual. I wasn't interested in reading books on business very much. Wasn't, I mean, I would read them just because I could read a book in a couple of days with my life and everything. And so, yeah, you know, check that one off. Um, no idea how many books I would read, just read everything that I could get my hands on, everything that spiritually rela- spiritually related that someone was said, uh, David Hawkins, um, all of a sudden it was 
Like, well, you have to read like Neville Goddard, you know, your faith is your fortune. And all of a sudden, well, there's this impersonal life, you know, there's a deeper aspect of that book and, um, you know, read it one time and then read it another time and then read it another time and running the highlighter, the Sharpie the whole time. Um, then realize that, wow, all of a sudden things are completely different. You know, beliefs are, um, not what they used to be and used to be fit in with, you know, standards. Um, then being drawn to plant medicine and experienced ayahuasca. Um, wow. A little bit about that. How did you, uh, how did you get introduced to ayahuasca? So I reached out to a complete stranger on social media because I, um, wanted some help. I, um, but help with what specifically, or did you know with presence? Okay. With my mind. Mm-hmm peace. Um, I had not gone through the letting go of aspect of things. I still had this dark hole with, you know, my family and all those things. And we ended up being very good friends. And, uh, there was a group of us that would meet like on Fridays, um, or have coffee and conversation and all of a sudden found out that that was sort of the world he was in. Uh, part of his world was plant medicines and it was, became very clear that this is not something you go down. This is something that you're drawn to your, as they say, you're called. And, um, my wife and I both discussed it and like, I, it's, it's the time I got to go. And this is like a very, very big leap because of the way I was brought. I had never done any drugs, smoked pot, like maybe twice beforehand and didn't like that. Um, didn't, try to educate myself on it. Didn't, you know, I just went because I knew I was supposed to go. Um, beautiful, beautiful. The whole, whole thing was very, very, I mean, I don't know how much of the story you want to go to. It was very impressive, very wild. Um, yeah. So walk me through the experience. So, um, you know, did you have the full ceremony or did you do like the synthetic version of DMT? You know, what was it like for you? Um, so we had the full ceremony. We were off the grid um, out of state, off the grid in the country, and it's done at nighttime. And we, you drink a drink at, um, after sunset. And I drank the drink and we're in white, um, sitting on a mat inside this circle hut with, um, a small, I mean, there's probably, um, 12 of us in there. Um, it's just this big, round building with the cone of a peak and the top of the cone is open and they sing this chant along it. And the chant is, um, they don't follow a particular song though. Um, they have different songs that they go by, but or that they use that they sing, but they're all over the emotional map. They're made to bring you through the entire spectrum of life, not just the positive. And so during the ceremony, people are, you know, laughing, people are scared, people are crying, you know, people are clearly going through some trauma and releasing it. And, um, first night I'm like, well, that was a big letdown. It was absolutely nothing. And 
first I was extremely disappointed. I mean, you know, this is ayahuasca, you know, you take half of a Google search to know that that's not exactly the typical experience. And so the next day you, um, you integrate. So you're off the grid, you're not, you know, you're, it's a remote place and you have uh, basically one meal a day and you break fast afterwards. You have a snack after the drink, um, not, you know, after the whole drink experience, um, fruit tastes so good, which is why they serve fruit. Um, but so during integration the next day, all of a sudden it hit me that I'm an anal control freak. My entire life, I want to choose every single outcome. I'm going to direct my life. And this is one experience that I can't. I have to let go. And so that's like the short version of night one was, you know, I, Mother Awa gave me exactly what I needed. Not, not what I wanted, but what right. I needed. Right. She handed you some awareness. Correct. Even though uh, you were quote unquote let down. <laughs> right, right. So uh, you, you went into a second night, I'm assuming? Yeah. So then we had a second night. And um, I mean, what can I say? But absolutely a picture perfect example. Um, very, very beautiful. The, by the way, um, ayahuasca involves what they call purging. So you're going to throw up a lot of black stuff and you're going to cleanse your body of a lot of toxins. So that's part of the process. Um, it is a lot of work if you want to give it that label. It's not a pleasurable thing. It is not even closely remotely related to people getting high mm -hmm. as I understand high because I haven't been there. Um, but, oh, I mean, I was in the pulse of God and belief grew like everything. That's amazing. So tell me, um, you know, so your first night was a little bit not what you expected. The second night, it was everything that you thought it could be. But what did that look like? What were you seeing? What was your, what were your experiences like? Um, and then what did that, uh, what did you learn about yourself uh, during the course of that second night? Um, are you meaning as in physically the visuals I was seeing? Yeah, what were you seeing, like visuals? And, um, and did you take any meaning from them? So context throughout this whole experience you're still grounded or i was put it that way so my body would have been influenced a little bit otherwise but i was not out of control so to speak um how could you be your control for exactly <laughs> um I'm, I'm just trying to put the context that you know a lot of people ayahuasca go get high you know yeah. it's it's not like that right um so I don't really have the visuals to explain. A, it's going to be very, very hard to put anything that painted of a picture. But what I can say is, what I can relate is, um, like universe was rolling through the rhythm of it. And I could feel I was the heartbeat of God. Mm -hmm. Of not the prostituted version of God that religion uses, but the actual source creation and what it, what I brought away from that was the amount of power that we are, that we can choose to be. I mean, because the amount of power that I felt that night is absolutely indescribable. There's words cannot touch it. And, um, then the emotions that come with it. I mean, not, 
not a intellectual knowing, but a deep seated, I am knowing. Mm. Is that where the tattoo comes from? Um, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I've heard a lot of people describe it as being, uh, like part of a larger oneness Yeah. or being in a place where they felt no fear or, or need to go to ego. Correct. Is that fair to say? Very fair to say. Yeah. So you didn't see visuals or you, I, or I you saw did? a little bit of visuals, mm-hmm. but what I've come to find out is, um, so the other day, a couple of friends of us, we were talking and we ended up on this particular conversation and we're all at different levels in life. So I had gone through intense, was still going through intense consciousness download. My, on the scale, the Hawkins scale of consciousness, I was rapidly climbing. Mm -hmm. Visuals were no longer, um, I guess you could say it was not what I needed. I could actually go by feeling alone, not by the visuals. So if I were to take five grams of psilocybin right now, for sure, you're going to see a little bit, but I would see less than the other person, but I would feel way more because you were disconnected. So you needed, you needed that part of your life to be sort of reinvigorated before you go into the next piece. I guess so. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe sort of, kind of. That's interesting, man. That's very cool. Um, I haven't done uh, the ayahuasca ceremony yet, but I have intentions to uh, give Michael Roviello a call and, and hook it up. So I'm uh, definitely doing all the research I can and, yeah. and learning a little bit about it. Um, I, like you, have, <clears throat> I've never done any illegal drugs. You know, I've drank before and that sort of thing, but never done anything. So going into this for me is going to be, you know, something that's completely new, something completely novel. And I'm, I'm really interested to see what it's going to so, be like. So no, no, um, Magic mushrooms, no, no DMT, nothing, nothing, no, nothing, nothing. And the only reason I'm interested in this actually, um, is because when I was talking to Michael, he explained it in a way that made sense to me. Um, and that was that, like you said, actually you said it too, just now you're talking about how this isn't fun. This isn't fun, man. This is work. If you want to yeah. use that word. Right. And I believe that for every good thing, you know, there is some sort of price to be paid. And the way he described it was, it's like, look, this isn't, you know, this isn't a ride on a merry-go-round where you're, you know, you're seeing everything and, and eating cotton candy and, you know, hallucinating bright colors. This, that's not what this is about. Like there's a price to be paid. You're going to go through a ceremony. You're going to purge, you know, you're going to fast, you're going to experience some physical discomfort. And on the other side of that is, you know, what you need to experience out of the ceremony. Mm-hmm. And for me, that made a lot of sense. And I was like, okay, well that makes it you know, not so recreational, but more like instructional. And that's what I needed to hear in order for it to tick that little box in my head that says, okay, you should give this a shot. Yeah. Yeah. And that was what you experienced too, huh? Um, yeah, for sure. For sure. It, um, it, I mean, it's a lot of intense work. It's not, um, it's not the path of the faint hearted. Um, you, I don't know of anyone uh, that would has gone through it to say otherwise you come back, you come back a complete different person. Mm-hmm. It, my wife and I had to communicate on a whole different level because all of a sudden she was married to someone that she didn't recognize. I mean, like it's not for the faint of hearted. The entire experience is completely life changing. So you've gone through the ceremony, but she hasn't. At Correct. This point. Okay, cool. Is she interested in doing it at all or no? Um, 
Yes and no. I mean, of course, that's her choice to make. I, um, I've told her that I would love to experience it with her because you are you you do experience a oneness at a level that you can't really elsewise describe. So um, experiencing that oneness with your significant other would be pretty impressive. What are some of the things that she noticed different about you when you when you showed up after the fact? Um, she would be better suited to say, but <laughs> um, for instance, I did end up getting a tattoo that says I am. And in religious circles, that's automatically tied to what? Your God? I, I, I don't quite understand the connection. But You mean in your religious experience or in general? In general. Okay. Um, just the whole belief when 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 a person when a person has um how do you describe it very fixed dogmatic view of god and religion mm -hmm. and all of a sudden that is completely shattered and that actually doesn't even exist anymore and it's not a question of i'm going to choose to believe something different it's all of a sudden you're believing something that doesn't quite um, fit with the paradigm. Mm -hmm. The Bible Belt would kick you out. Oh yeah, for sure. So yeah, it's you know, well, um, we're gonna go over here and have dinner with these people, but can you not talk like that? Can you, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm exaggerating, of course, but you know, no, that's, I think that's, that's my point. Spot on, actually. Yeah. Don't say those funny words in front yeah. of the people that exactly. I want to impress. Kind of exactly. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And afterwards. Looking at it, not having gone through an experience like ayahuasca or some of those other modalities, it's hard to imagine. But afterwards, you don't want to create that conflict with someone else because they're you, you know? So you're not, if someone starts asking you a question, you're not going to automatically profess that, oh, um, my God's bigger than your God. I mean, you know, my view <laughs> of God is bigger than your God. You know, I actually call it source and... and you know, it, that's not where you're coming from. Right. It's not a competition. Correct. It's a collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's so funny that people go there though. You know, the whole, you know, my religion, my denomination, you know, it's my, whatever, my car, you know, mm -hmm. my thing is better than your thing. Yes. It's just so funny that people go there because when you think about it at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. You know, it just matters that, uh, you know, we're doing what we're doing right here, which is connecting mm -hmm. with other humans and actually sharing some ideas and seeing if we can elevate one another. And so I'm sitting here across from you and I'm wondering, you know, you've, you've gone through this incredible life, you know, where you were, you know, sheltered tremendously as a child, you know, and then you branched out, you moved 1500 miles away from home, started your business. And now you're on this sort of spiritual awakening, this journey, whatever you want to call it you know, what are your targets as an individual or as a man? And how do you feel like this, these experiences of awakening of ayahuasca or whatever else you decide to consume along the path? How is it serving you to become the man you want to become? Um, I'm now at the point where it's time to do less consuming and more uh, being of who I know to be, if that makes sense. It, um, I've had a full meal and I'm in no way not wanting to continue growth, but 
now's the time to help people believe more. Now's the time to help people understand that they can choose to not give their power to an external source. They can choose to not relinquish it to their dad that's beating them. They can actually believe in themselves regardless of their environment and that they are able to absolutely create whatever they want. So do you, so you see yourself as a vessel to get that message out? Are you becoming, you know, a person who wants to teach more of this type of thing or, or what? Yes. Or do you have a target along that line? Um, I have a moving target. So I'm, it's been a battle of mine for quite a while because you have all of this information and all these new beliefs and you have the influx of social media, which is a wonderful communicator connector. But the way that they do it is not the way that I want to do it. I, um, I'm not trying to create separation. I'm just using the typical life coach as an example. I do want to teach, but I don't want to teach. I don't want to tell someone that what they're doing is wrong. doesn't mean that there won't be um, programs or methods or something, tools that people can use that would involve a 30 day commitment or something, you know, the, that's, that's the business side of it. And that's also the fact that once you go through that particular commitment, you will be on the other side of that and you'll be able to make a different choice. So all of those things are very, 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 very useful. But for me, my belief at this particular time is that what's more powerful, me sharing a perspective, sharing my life experience, and just simply giving another permission to do it on their own, another permission to think what they choose to think, versus saying that um, I feel that I've been through this amount of experiences, so I'm at this particular level, and I'm going to coach you, and by doing so, I'm definitely putting you at a level, level underneath me. And here's the 10 steps that you can do to rise up, but I'm creating separation with that particular philosophy. So I want to do it through experience. I want to do it through sharing, not that's it. And that's, I'm strictly speaking for myself with zero judgment um, of anything else. It's just, that's sort of how I want to go. And I'm assuming there'll be plenty of programs that'll be developed and plenty of um, profit that will be made in the process because that's what happens. We can, we can help others when we are more taking care of ourselves. You know, money, mm. wealth is a good thing. Science dewaddles the science of getting rich. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, but that of course is not the end game. Money is not the end game. That particular person is not the end game. Gotcha. The end game is me trying to be connected to this moment and sharing my, my story, my life. So becoming for you right now just looks like that you're just, telling your story and hoping to inspire those close to you, those who are paying attention? Not even hoping. Um, you have no expectation. Correct. Zero <laughs> expectation. You're gotcha. free. Anyone that, you know, if I would post a video, they're free to watch it. They're free to not watch it. They're free to have their opinion. It's there's you know, choice, free choice. I'm, I want to play that game. Mm -hmm. I don't want to play the game of, well, I've got to do a post every single day and I've got to have this offer and I've got to do this and I've got to have X amount of money. I've, I've got a business. I'm, I'll have more businesses that's, you know, the money is taken care of. Let's, um, let's focus on how you might feel and are you feeling the way you want to feel? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. That's super cool. I, uh, I appreciate the fact that you're coming from, you know, this place in, inside you that you feel is authentic and you want to put that in front of people and let them decide, you know, rather than sort of smack them over the head and say, hey, you should do this kind of a thing, right? But on some level, don't you feel like there's a need for, you know, like a, an instructional hierarchy on some Very level? much so. Very much so. Um, a, it was brought to my attention by my wife that um, one of the groups of people that I'm very fitted to help are, and that I desire to help. Um, for the longest time, I wanted to help people with a morning routine because I knew that a morning routine can transform a person's life as it experienced for myself. But I could never make the connection to actually want to make a platform out of it, so to speak. But use, um, use my particular field. I'm in the construction. I'm a contractor. Um, I'm not a contractor. I do contracting. Um, there's a mass amount of employees in any particular field that you want to look at that are starting out that have no idea that they can be more. Um, if you want to use my employees as an example, there's people that they don't realize that they can be more. They want to make more money, but they don't know how they don't understand the concept. If you give them Seth Godin, um, the orange book, this is marketing at the new, no, one? the older one, um, linchpin, linchpin. There it, we go. Yeah, he's, any one of them is fine. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Linchpin's a very good one for a lot of people. Sure. Let off, you know, employees, mm-hmm. but they still need help. I, um, was recently around an experience. I'll keep time and labels away for his sake. Um, a particular person was in tears because he was trying to do the right thing, but he did an incredibly big, bad thing. And he didn't, he was, he felt helpless. He didn't have anyone to lead him through. He's all of a sudden he's an adult and trying to make sense of life and had no real mentorship or leadership as the typical person, you know, just because your father was this way, then you end up being this way and it goes on generation, generation, and they don't have a Tom bill They don't have a Tommy Baker. They don't have a Jason. They don't have a, whoever these people are, you know, in our particular world here that we are influenced by or have been or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's a perfect opportunity for me to perhaps have a great impact. And a lot of that would involve steps, procedures, things like that. So not trying to be a hypocrite. Um, there's going to be this particular portion and then there's going to be this particular portion, this particular portion. I want to have an impact and very, you know, you can't make money on low ticket and I'm not here to make money. You know, it's to change, to help them. And there's a lot of procedures that are going to be involved because you don't just sit on top of the mountaintop and, you know, meditate yourself to success. Right. Of course. You need to go through those moments of pain and potential suffering just to witness it. Definitely. Yeah. It seems like, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, the Socratic method is, is probably one of the greatest discoveries of all time, where you're asking people to think, you know, asking people questions and and guiding them, but not necessarily giving them, you know, what they, what they want, right. You're having them have the experience. And as a, a teacher, 
it's very difficult sometimes because you just want to open up someone's head and just say, Hey, here it is. Ah, right. But then they don't work for it. It doesn't solidify. It doesn't, you know, rest in their mind and therefore it's, it has no value to them and becomes unused. So you actually do them a disservice, you know, by giving too much too Correct. soon. Correct. So having the, on the, your level. Yeah, exactly. For sure. So having that, you know, understanding that you have to guide them through, you know, and let them be ready to receive what it is they need to receive. I think is one of those skills that is invaluable and can only come from, you know, probably messing up a lot of times, you know, as with anything. So as we go into uh, the end of this particular episode, tell me, man, what does success look like for Jared Smith? I view my life as a success when I am connected to this present moment. When I'm at home, I'm with my family. When I'm with my children, I'm with my children. When I'm with my wife, I'm there. Um, When I'm having a work conversation, I take care of that. And I happen to understand that all good things come from the present moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So on a tangible level, I'm going to create everything by being there, but I will have success now. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. There's, there's a lot of, and this is something that we all struggle with. I know I do is, you know, being present is, is difficult. It sounds like such a simple thing. We make it difficult. We, we do. There's so many distractions, you know, stories from the past, mm-hmm. fears from the future, and you're constantly bouncing back and forth. And the reality of it is, is the only place you can act is in the now. So I, I, I do, I take the power from what you're, from what you're saying there. And I, I see the beauty of that. And also, you know, the struggle in creating that, um, to a certain extent. Well, that's the journey's all the fun because yeah, on a financial, I would love to travel the world with my family doing what I want to do. Business is being taken care of, but I mean, that's success according to Instagram, you know, that still happens now. Well, but not if you want that though. Correct. Very true. Very true. That's something you want. I will experience those things for sure. For sure. Yeah. I have and I will. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Beautiful. So before I ask my my last question, man, tell these guys where they can get in touch with you online. Where can they consume some more Jared Smith? Oh my. Um, Facebook is Jared Smith. Uh, Instagram is Jared space, awakened space ethos. Beautiful. And the space creates the underscore. Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome, man. So last question is, is simply this. What does wellness look like to you? Here's the answer that comes to mind. When I lie my head down on the pillow at night, I'm content. I'm at peace. So wellness would be a complete internal feeling of joy and happiness. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for that, man. Thanks for being on today. I appreciate you coming up. Thank you. Absolutely. So on behalf of Jared and myself, guys, we're going to call it here. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Be sure and uh, like and subscribe if you like the content and we'll see you in the next episode. Take care, guys.